Hey guys, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. On today's episode, I will be playing a recording of me speaking at a convention that I just spoke at a couple weeks ago. I have told my story on here before, and um, every time I listen to it, just like super cringe, I just feel that it's like kind of depressing. And when I speak in front of an audience, it's a lot more upbeat. And um, really, I get to the point. So this is uh, me speaking at a convention. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Please like, comment, subscribe, leave a comment. And I just want to say that Hell Has an Exit is not affiliated with any 12-step program. We are simply a platform sharing our experience, strength, and hope. With that being said, thanks for listening. Have a good day. I'll give you Brian A. from Hollywood, Florida. I'm Brian, I'm an addict. I've been practicing this speech for 13 years. (laughs) This is my celebration month. Um, At the end of the month, I will celebrate 14 years clean. I got clean at 17 years old. I, I picked up one white key tag. I got an NA sponsor who has an NA sponsor. I work NA steps, I work the NA traditions. And um, that's what qualifies me to be here. You know, I, I, I share that because a lot of times when I would go to meetings, people talk about qualifying, they would talk about how much they use, and I feel like I was not qualified to be here. When I got here, I thought I didn't use enough. When I got here, I was like, man, I smoke crack, but I didn't smoke that much crack. <laughs> so I heard this one speaker say, I smoke my body weight in crack. I was like, I only smoke like two fingers. You know? <laughs> but, um, You know what, like I earned my seat in Narcotics Anonymous and it wasn't until I read the literature that I understood that. Because when I would go to meet, say that again, you know, when I went to meetings, you know, I was unsure about my membership. I went to meetings for a long time, 60 days, before I really felt like I was a member, you know? And I share that because that's a long time to be doing something and be questioning whether or not you belong there. You got, you got people been going to meetings for years wondering if they belong there. You got people who've been at this whole convention all weekend wondering if they're an addict. And my sponsor used to say, if you went to a gay convention all weekend, would you be wondering if you was gay? <laughs> and I share that because my sponsor used to say, most of us don't have to think twice about this. We know. I was like, man, I'm thinking twice. (laughs) And he used to say, if you're thinking twice about it, you're an addict. Most people don't wonder if they're an addict, right? If you know what NA is, you got problems. (laughs) Ain't nobody even know what this shit is. You ask anybody outside these rooms, what does AA mean? What does NA mean? They're gonna say American Airlines and not applicable. Ain't nobody thinking about no 12-step program that don't need one. And I share that because, you know, this is youth and recovery, and a lot of people in youth don't think they're an addict. Man, if you walked in here as, as, as a youngin', it's already, it's over. It's like, if you just know what this is, if you walked in here by accident, you're fucked. You know, it's like, it's like, all right, you know, we got your seat ready for you, like, like, it's good, you know, anything you say, like, we already know what you're gonna say, we know everything about you already, don't ever try to explain it to us, just sit down, shut up, 
And, um, and when I got here, I was still wondering, you know, I don't know if I really need to do all that. You know, it seemed like a lot. You know, it's like, man, you got to go all these meetings all the time. And then people would, would say, well, it's not forever. It's just for today. <laughs> man, you're like 90 years old. You can't dope fiend a dope fiend. You know, the first time I smoked crack, this guy said, uh, it's just like Coke, but you can sleep on it and eat on it. And there's no come down. I said, sign me up. I was like, man, this is a come down. And then when I got all my friends to do it, I would say the same thing. I would say, it's just like Coke, there's no come down. You can eat on it, you can sleep on it. And they would say, man, there's a come down. But you know what? I did to other people what people did to me. And I did the same thing in recovery because somebody saved my ass when I got here. And it didn't take a whole bunch of people. It took one dude, like one, one man took a special interest in a lost and confused addict. Just one dude. This dude saved my fucking life. And um, his name was Steve Burdick. He looked like uh, Heisenberg. I was like, anybody but this dude. Dude, I'll pick, man, like, why can't the pretty girls come up to me? Why can't, like, the cool kids come up to me? Not this guy. He had a wallet chain. Ain't nobody wore a wallet chain in like 20 years. He had long hair. You know, he, uh, I always wonder, I was like, man, are these guys in recovery? Because I'm like, this must be a crazy job for somebody not in NA. But um, anyway, so this guy had like long hair. He had a wallet chain, like a Nirvana t-shirt on. He was just like, he, you, you ever meet people that get clean and they just get like stuck looking how they were using? Like they don't ever... <laughs> Uh, he still looked like he was using, like he just, you know, just like crawled in. You know, he had been clean like six years. And sometimes people, people get clean, like they just start glowing. He wasn't a glower. And, um, and he was crazy and he was shot out. And dude, he had a rubber ducky and he used to put it on a string and he would throw it like in the middle of the meeting and he pulled, it was weird. This guy was off the chain. And, um, and I'm going to the meeting, I'm trying to see who hops out of the nicest cars, who's got the shoes on, who's got the cute girl. And, um, you know, like when I first got clean, I used, to sh I used to double share at meetings. Like, I would share, and then when no one would share, I'd be like, oh, I got more to say, you know? And, 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 uh, and me and my predecessors would get up and, and sit in a different chair, you know? Um, I got clean in an era where people didn't say, uh, shut the fuck up but they didn't have to, you know what I mean? Like, like I could feel that people were like, you know, like I could just sense it from some people, you know? And I didn't care, you know? Like, I didn't care that I wanted to, I had nowhere else to go, you know? And, um, and I'll never forget this guy, Steve Burdick, used to, I used to ugly cry. I feel like if you ain't ugly cry your first year clean, I highly doubt you're gonna stay clean, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I'd be seeing people with 90 days clean sharing, too, like, what? How are you talking about, like, all that Gucci shit? Like, no, you got to ugly cry first. You got to <laughs> snot out the nose, cry for a year. It, it don't work any other way. It ain't going to happen. You got to take the bus. You got to be broke. You got to be heartbroken. You can't get laid. Like, if you got laid your first year clean, it ain't happening. You know, but... Like my first year clean was, uh, was not glamorous, you know? And, um, and I'm, I'm just joking, everyone's got a different journey, you know? But, um, 
So the, I remember that like this guy, Steve, would, would be like the one person. I would ugly cry, share explicitly about using for like 30 minutes. They would tell me, get with someone after the meeting. And, um, and this dude would come up to me and say, hey, I love what you shared in there. I'd say, oh, about me being suicidal and wanting to smoke crack? He said, he said, we really needed to hear that. I was like, what? You know? In all honesty, um, I, I feel like, like there's a gap where there's like, like how newcomers share, and then there's people in the middle. I consider myself people in the middle, and then there's like old timers. Old timers kind of resemble newcomers. Like, I see old timers like get into fist fights, fucking acting crazy. They start saying, I'm a fucking newcomer, fuck it. You know, like, like some old timers be acting pretty newcomerish. And I, it used to confuse me. I would be like, that's the guy with the most years clean throwing the chair? That's the most spiritual person here? Ain't had a job in 10 years? He's the guy with the most clean time? And what I realized is, is that, that there came a time where they stopped trying to look good and act good, because we all go through that. Everyone go through that. I'm going through it right now. You know, everyone goes through that, and they become real authentic. And when you're new, when I was new, I didn't even have a concept of sounding good. Like, that wasn't even, I didn't even know what the, like, that you could sound good. I was like, my ass is on fire, it's burning. You know, I feel like getting high. And uh, what I truly believe about spirituality is that the most spiritual person in the room is the person who could be most, most authentic with how unspiritual they can be, you know? And, and for a long time, I didn't know what that meant because I just wanted to, I lost, there was a couple of years where I lost the ability to share openly and honestly in a meeting. Because I learned after a while, hey, you don't share all that in the meeting and then get mad when people you know, talk shit about you. Some shit's for your sponsor. Some shit's for your close friends. I don't say support close friends and family. To me, this is family, right? It's a family reunion, right? And, and, and some stuff is for the meeting and the stuff in the meeting should be geared towards creating an atmosphere of recovery so new people can know who to rely on. And I, and I learned how to do that. It became a point where, where where I lost that. Like if you go through different sponsors, you know, it's really hard to connect honestly with somebody. I was, I was sharing like real surface level shit with Jimmy for like three years, you know? And it took me a long time to learn how to get honest. So back to my story, this guy, Steve B, used to say, you know, hey, I really love what you shared in there. And I used to pretend to get a call and walk away, you know? I would be on my phone and, um, he would keep coming up to me. And I remember like everybody would go out to eat and uh, I don't know if you anti-social people know about this, but um, I, would, I would be sitting on the corner saying, fuck all them, I don't wanna be with them. They're all going out to eat, but secretly being like, please invite me, please, you know? And um, I remember like, like they would ask me if I wanted to go kind of, you know when someone like just asks you cause you just like sitting there? They'd be like, oh, hey, you want to eat? Oh, okay, you know, we're going to, like, it didn't really feel like they wanted me to go eat, and I didn't really feel like they wanted me there, and I would just sit there on the crowd. I was 17 years old, had black nail polish on, you know, and um, I used to get, like, designs in my hair, and um, this was 2008, and I remember um, this guy, Steve, would be like, hey, kid, like a real creepy, hey, kid, you know? <laughs> you got to ride home? And I don't know if you can relate, but you ever been so desperate, you're just like, whatever, you know? 
Nah, but um, but I remember this dude just kept coming. Ava, but um, I remember uh, I remember this dude was just like, yo, you want to go like whatever, and like we started talking. And um, the longer I watched him, I started to realize that out of everybody at this PM recovery meeting, which meets at 10 o'clock at night in the Gold Coast area, out of everybody in this meeting, I started to realize that Steve was the most knowledgeable and had the most recovery in the whole room. And if you go to a 10 o'clock meeting, first of all, the people with clean time there, I don't know what the hell they're doing there. They ain't got jobs. They're hitting on newcomers. And then it's like a bunch of, like, who's going to a 10 o'clock meeting seven days a week? You got issues. And, um, and I would tell people, like, what's your home group? Like, PM Recovery. They'd be like, there's more recovery at a bar than that place. You know? And, I, and, and, like, and like, that's kind of messed up to say, right? Because every meeting has a message. If we read the readings, like, it, everything's been said. If we do the key tag, it's all been said. Like, every meeting has a different personality, and it's a real shame where people try to bash that, you know? I knew this one guy who couldn't stay clean, and um, I was like, yo, you want to come over here? We're going to, like, the best meeting ever. And he's like, oh, that meeting's in the hood. I was like, that's why y'all can't stay clean. You know, it's like, if I was your sponsor, I'd make you go to 90 ghetto meetings in 90 days, you know? <laughs> like, you got to get outside your comfort zone, right? And, um... I started to realize, so this guy, Steve, was clean for like six, seven, eight years. And he said he went to have one drink and he went out and used for another six years. And I remember he used to tell me, like, I didn't, I honestly thought that I was going to have one drink and come back. And I used for another eight years. And this guy's drug of choice is uh, alcohol and cocaine. And I remember he said, when I came back, I thought it would be the same and it never was. I got clean one time with all these people, and it just I just kept comparing it to what it was the first time, and it wasn't that. And then all of his friends that he got clean with have 12, 13, 14, 15 years. They're getting jobs or whatever, and this guy's just trying to hold on, and he found this 10 o'clock meeting where he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't see nobody, and he got clean there. And when I met him, he had six years. And even though he was crazy and shot out, this guy had the knowledge and I started to realize, like, this is the plug. <laughs> I was like, man, he's hiding in plain sight. This is the guy with the fire. You know, he's got that straight off the boat brick. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Smell it through four different bags. You know, like this guy had. And I remember the first time he broke me off with a brick. <laughs> I was a couple months clean. This guy said, I'm going to give you something. He gave me a CD. And I put it into my computer. It wasn't just one speaker tape. It was like 20 speaker tapes. Man, when I had 90 days clean, this guy put me on to Khalees, Jimmy T, Sean G, Ron H, Uzman. And I was listening to that shit in high school. Like, y'all, get, yo, check it out, check it out. I was hyped. And I fell in love with Narcotics Anonymous. Right? And I heard a pure, authentic message with people with 30 years clean, 25 years clean, talking about the traditions, the literature. And um, that really was my first introduction into like what this is really about because I had started to realize that Narcotics Anonymous was not a 10 o'clock meeting. Because I used to leave this meeting and say, I don't know about NA, fuck NA. I didn't know that this thing was global. I had no idea that in the 1950s, people were meeting, like a reading said, illegally 
to help other addicts stay clean. I didn't know that people were dying to hear the message literally. And there wasn't. There's a story in the literature that talks about I was ready to get clean 10 years before NA even came into existence. And I started to understand and respect the people that came here before me and to start seeing them as real OGs. But I couldn't pick a sponsor. I don't know if you've ever just been like so judgmental, just nobody's good enough. You'd be getting like the most, the best sounding person. They're the worst, you know? Anyone who's like a convention speaker, horrible sponsor. No, I'm just messing. I was picking the guy with the nice car. He didn't even know my name after 90 days, you know? And I was just, I couldn't find a speaker. I would get somebody and someone would say, don't you know they do AA? And I'd be like, <laughs> you know? And I just couldn't find a sponsor. And I remember this one time I was at this meeting, I was like ugly crying again. And um, I remember this Russian dude said, uh, hey, you need to shut the fuck up and call me. And most sponsors back then used to say, call me. This was the, the assignment in 2008 in my area. Call me every day for 30 days. If you miss a day, get a new sponsor. And then highlight all the musts. There's like, I think, how many, 42 musts in the, in the basic text? 48. That's the NA Nazis, you know? But, uh, you know, there's 48 musts in the basic text, you know? And um, I remember this one, it's, it's, it's really a difficult assignment. It's like, it takes you 18 hours. And um, I remember I did the assignment and I left it on the, on the druggy buggy and I'm, I'm getting a new sponsor, you know? So um, anyways, this guy asked me and, um, Asked me. This guy came up to me and told me to sit down, shut the fuck up, and call me for seven days. He says, if you call me for seven days, I'll give you your first step. And I, I remember thinking, like, you know, I've seen this guy around, this Russian dude. He, he had like only had like two years clean, you know. I'm listening to all these speakers, right? So I'm like, you gotta have more time to sponsor me, you know. <laughs> and um, this guy says, I'm your sponsor. So I start calling him. And I call him every single day. And after day seven, he told me to read The Who is an Addict. And the first time I read The Who is an Addict is when I really felt that I was going to be an NA for the rest of my life. The Who is an Addict, and the first, uh, it's the first um, chapter in the basic text, he told me to highlight everything you, you could relate to. I highlighted almost every single word. It was like these people followed me around my whole life and wrote a book about me. I was like, this shit been around for this long? Like, it, it was... It was like being thirsty in a room for 20 years and there was a fridge with water in it the whole time. I was like, this shit was here the whole time? So I can't imagine people that get clean later on in life. Because it used to offend me when people used to say, I'm so grateful you're here, kiddo. You don't got to go through what I went through. I was like, don't hit me with that shit. You know, because in my eyes, I was like, you're separating yourself from me. You're saying that you went through something different than what I went through when the literature talks about we're survivors of the same nearly fatal catastrophe. Right? When you quote the literature, you get claps. It's so cool. But um, I've been dreaming about this for years. But, uh, you know, it's, it really does work. But um, no, but it's like it says the same near fatal catastrophe. Not that you went through a different near fatal catastrophe. If that shit was near fatal, that shit was near fatal. 
So a lot of times people with a lot of clean time or a lot older would say, oh, you don't got to go through what I went through. Motherfucker, if I would have died at 17, what different would it have made if, if, if you died at 47? You know, you don't get a trophy because you stayed in the burning building longer. Right? That shit, that shit been on fire. I hear it all the time, you know? It's like, you know, addicts want a trophy for running out of a burning building. Like my dad used to say, you want a trophy because you didn't smoke crack? Get over yourself, you know? And um, I do want to talk about people who get out of the burning building and become firefighters. So it's one thing to get out of the, it's like any idiot can run outside of a burning building because their ass is on fire. It takes real courage and humility and spiritual principles to be trained the proper way how to run back in and pull motherfuckers out. So, so if you do H&I, please stand up. If you got H&I commitment, please stand up. So this Russian guy started sponsoring me, right? And, uh, and man, this guy, dude, this guy had a chipped tooth. He wore like super tight American Express shirts. He had like these huge biceps. He wore tight, tight, tight ass jeans. You know, he had a 1999 Toyota Camry, kind of like Sean's. And he had, and he had, he had 24 inch wheels on it with two 15s in the trunk. You couldn't hear any lyric. You're just like, you know? And um, dude, he had like some flames on it or some shit. And uh, he had these big letters that said Mad Russian. And he had a bumper sticker that said, real men love Jesus. And the other one said, ex-dead man. And I remember I said, what's ex-dead man? And he said, oh, bro, I've overdosed and died so many times. That's why I only have two brain cells. <laughs> and um, he listened to a lot of rap which I thought was cool. You know, he listened to, to Gangsta Boo and 3-6 Mafia and like Haystack and stuff, you know. But, um, which is so cool. Cause I remember when I got clean, people would be talking like Janis Joplin and Woodstock. <laughs> it feels so good to say like, I grew up listening to like Lil Wayne, Eminem, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying, The Drought 3, you know. If you don't know what that is, you know, just keep coming back. <laughs> But um, anyway, so this guy started sponsoring me. Dude, this guy, you know, like, like Steve Burdick was like, like my beacon of hope. But this guy, like sponsorship is a different relationship. One is like the nurse who does your intake. And the other one's like the doctor who goes in there and does the fucking surgery. Right? Like that's what a sponsor really is. This motherfucker went in there and, and, and did steps with me and really restructured my whole mental psyche. This guy really went in and changed all the things that I was told as a kid, you know? And um, he, he wasn't nice, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't describe him as a nice man, you know? If, you, if I didn't call him, he would say, if you, if you ever miss a call again, get some other motherfucker to sponsor your ass. I would say, bro, I didn't have a ride to the meeting. He said, please don't lie to me. I said, bro, I couldn't get a ride. He was like, motherfucker, I drove to Opalaka on a pink bicycle during Hurricane Andrew because I wanted a bag of dope. <laughs> Said, he would say, I bet if it was a piece of ass, you would have found a ride. I'll say, bro, this guy's smart. This guy's smart, you know? 
And he didn't care that I was young. He never once brought up my age. He, he was never like, oh, we're going to give you like some special shit. He was like, nah, you just fucked up just like the rest of the sponsees. Hop in. We do step group once a week. We're going to work steps. And if you don't work steps, you're going to die, motherfucker. And that was it. You know, he was really hardcore. This dude had two years. Now that I think about it, it's kind of crazy. He had two years clean with like a giant N.A. tattoo on his arm. And um, you ever seen someone drink the Kool-Aid too fast? And um, but, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like this guy saved my life. And um, my biggest thing that I talk about is my relationship with my father. You know, my mother always believed in me and always knew that I would get clean. And, uh, and, and like everybody thought she was crazy. Like my mom used to see me nodded out and everybody would be like, Pfft. there was a time where I, when I would nod out, people would be like, oh, well, like he's high again. And then it became a point where they were like, yo, pass, pass the salt. Like he's in the mashed potatoes again, like whatever. You know, it's like, like my family was like, oh, he looks green, whatever. You know, like it became a point where it's crazy what you could get used to. My mother never got used to me being high. My mother never got used to seeing me high. Every time she saw me high, I could see it in her eyes. My mom never had to drug test me. My dad was always like, drug test and drug test. My mother knows by my eyes if I was clean or high. And my mother took me to therapy. My mother took me to court. My mother took me to drug court. My mom had people come over to the house and pray over me. My mother took me to church. My mother took me all over the place with her ass all the time, telling everybody, my son's going to get clean one day. He's going to get clean. What do I got to do? My whole life. My mother sat on the other side of the door while I smoked crack when I was 14 years old, you know? And uh, when I told Sean that I got clean at 17, he was like, what happened to you? People always say that. (laughs) No one touched me. You never know. Nah, but, but like no one touched me, you know, like I didn't have a fucked up childhood. Like my dad was a little strict, but I couldn't say that I had a fuck. Like, I don't get that, that like that never happened to me. And um, when I started using my father is very ADHD. You know, if you touch anything of his, he knows you touched it. You can't use his computer. You can't print something from school for on it. You know, when he's watching TV, this motherfucker is watching TV you know, and um, when he comes home, he wants quiet, and I told you to turn it off. If I tell you again, I'm breaking it, and he would break it. Hey, don't ollie in the garage, and then he broke my, you know, like, like he didn't play games, you know, and uh, now that I'm an adult, I'm kind of grateful for that, because I see some people's kids off the chain, and I was like, that shit would not fly. Like, I was off the chain when I was, like, at home, but, like, in public, pfft, Hell no. My mom used to, like, do shit, you know? She used to pinch my ear and shit, stab me with her nail, you know? But um, anyway, so my biggest thing was when I got clean, my father didn't believe I was clean. And I lived in, I, I remember I wanted to go to Halfway. I was like, Mom and Dad, can I go to this cool Halfway? It's, you know, and over here in the hood, and, like, it's $100 a week, and, you know... It's like, they got curfew, but it's like structured. My mom was like, Brian, you are not living in a halfway house. I was like, but why? All my friends are there, you know? (laughs) My dad was like, no, you're going to college, you know? And um, I did six months of treatment, court mandated. And um, it was a three-month program. It took me six months to complete. And it took me six months to complete because it took me three months to learn how to shut the fuck up. 
99% of my problems is just shut the fuck up. Just shut up. Stop talking. Shut up. Sh like, no one cares. It's, it doesn't have to be funny. Just shut up. And I learned how to shut up. And um, I completed the program, and I went back to high school. And I haven't been in high school in a while. And uh, I've been kicked out of multiple schools at this time. Um, my older brother and older sister are totally normal. And... Um, and when I say normal, I mean like not smoking crack, not getting arrested, like excited for college and normal kid stuff. And um, I remember when I walked back into class, um, I had to sit in front of the principal and uh, like the guidance counselor, whatever, my parents came. And he said, I don't want to allow you to come back into my school, but you got some of the most stand-up parents I've ever met. And I'm only bringing you back into this school because of your parents. And if it was up to me, I would never let you back into the Broward County School District. And I was like, like that's a fucked up thing to say. You know? I was clean six months. I don't know if you've ever been clean and just been like, no one knows it yet. You know, like, like no one out, like, do you guys not get that I've been clean six months? And when I walked into class, it was the first day of school and, um, I would walk into class, I would sit down, the teacher would say, can you introduce yourself? I'd say, I don't feel like it. they say, okay. Well, one of the classes was Ms. Dean's class, she was a world history teacher, and I sat down in her class, and she said, introduce yourself. I said, I don't feel like it. She said, oh, you're gonna stand up in front of everyone, you're gonna introduce yourself. I said, hi, my name is Brian. I'm an addict. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody in the classroom laughed. And Ms. Dean said, what the fuck? <laughs> and she was crazy. She would curse. She would sleep in class sometimes. Like, she was off the chain. And uh, I remember the kids in class was like, nah, it's true. He used to smoke crack in the bathrooms. And some other kid was like, yo, he used to snort pills in chemistry. And some other girl was like, yo, he stole my purse at a party. And everyone did what you guys did. They all laughed. But let me tell you something. I told everybody that I was clean, and they laughed at me. She said, what do you mean you're an addict? I said, I got six months clean. My home group is PM Recovery. I got a sponsor. I'm on my third step. I got an H&I commitment. And let me tell you something, everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. That shit wasn't funny to me. I'm, I'm also suicidal just because I had six hours. St I still want to get high. I, I felt like getting high for a long time. And uh, it wasn't funny to me. I, was, I had my basic text with me, listening to Brownie in one ear, you know? And uh, man, I stayed clean and I sat by myself every day in lunch. And I remember this teacher used to say, hey, you know, you, you okay? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you're sitting by yourself. I was like, so? She was like, Brian, look around. Nobody sits by themselves. Even the goth kids sit together. <laughs> she was like, people were getting scared. <laughs> and um, I was like, yo, I really don't fuck with nobody. She's like, let me introduce you. I was like, I know everybody, and I don't, I don't, like, I don't like kids. I smoke crack when people are 40 years old at 14. I don't like kids. I ain't into kids' shit. I don't fucking go bowling. I'm not fucking going to the jamboree. I'm not interested in going to prom. I smoke crack, you know? And that was kind of my attitude. I thought it was real cool to say that, you know? And, um, and she was like, okay, and she used to call me weirdo. 
And um, I remember she came up to me, she kept coming up to me. And one day my dad had to pick me up for court. And it's like sometimes I had, I had months clean, six, seven months clean, and it just didn't feel like it. I'm still going to court. And I remember my dad told me to dress up nice because he's picking me up from school and I would go to school and the teachers would say, oh, are you part of the leadership club? I'd be like, no, I got court <laughs> for a crack pipe. Ain't, ain't part of no duck ass fucking leadership club. Get the fuck out of here, you know? And um, I remember kids used to ask, like, why y'all dressed up? Or, y'all got court? And people would be like, you know, like they, like they talk. You know, like I would hear people talk about me when I walked in a room. Or that was my disease, you know? But, um, right? We remember things not in real perspective, you know? And um, I remember the next day, Ms. Dean was the only person who asked me how it went. And when she asked me that, when she walked away, I started to cry. And it was, the, it was like, like, I didn't like this lady. I was like, like, why are you always talking to me? And when she said that, like, it just struck a nerve. And, um, I cried a lot my first year, by the way. But uh, like I started to cry and I started to like, like this woman. And I remember she asked me to go to her class and she was like, look, like, like the debate team eats in there. Can you just eat in there so people don't think you're gonna blow up the score or something? <laughs> you know, so I said, okay. And uh, I remember I would eat lunch every day in this woman's class. And um, every year around my clean date for Valentine's Day, I'd get her something, you know? Um, her son died of an overdose three years ago, and she called me. You know, I went to the funeral, I helped her pack um, like his, her son's stuff, but um, you know, God has a plan. Like everybody in your life is in there for a reason. You're not gonna realize the reason. And um, you know, I got kicked out of school twice. I got kicked out of school twice clean. And I remember when I came home and I got kicked out of school the second time, my mom was like, your dad is gonna lose his shit. <laughs> And I was like, I know. She's like, no, he's like, he's gonna, I can like, how did you get, like, the worst part about being an addict is not that you like fucked up, it's that you fucked up again. It's like, dog, you just fucked up yesterday. Like, people were confused. And I was clean. My mom was like, how did you get kicked out of school again, Brian? My mom knew I was clean. And she was, I felt bad for her, I was like, I don't know, you know? And uh, when I got back from school, I remember my dad came home, and uh, my dad's a, a big guy, and my dad came home and, you know, he left his briefcase at the front door and he said, go get my briefcase. And I grabbed his briefcase and my father um, got an Alka-Seltzer, like he does after work, you know, got some Alka-Seltzer, started drinking the Alka-Seltzer. And he says, so, you ever had someone know what you did, but they would just want to like re-get mad? <laughs> He's like, aren't you supposed to be in school? I said, I got kicked out. He says, oh. You know it's bad when he's like not screaming in the beginning, you know? He's like, oh, he got kicked out again from school. How many times have you been kicked out of school, Brian? I don't know. Oh, come on, you know. <laughs> How many times was it, Brian? How many, how many times have you been kicked out of school? 12? 12 times? 12 times you've been kicked out of school? Where do you think you're going to be next year, Brian? I don't know. You don't know. 
I don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. How about that? Because I don't think you should be living here. If it wasn't for your mom, your ass would have been out of here a long time ago. And I'm clean. I'm like, man, I got sponsees. <laughs> and it's just, it's just her. It's like, I want to do good, but I just don't know how. And I remember my father said like these words. He said, I think you're still using. You got to be using. Who the fuck gets kicked out of school clean twice? And man, when you've been clean, when every cell of your body wants to get high day in and day out and you're praying and you're doing the serenity prayer and you're going to meetings and you're raising your hand and you haven't used and someone in your family says, I think you've been using. Man, those are fighting words. And I remember I said, I'm not using. He said, yeah, you are. I said, I'm not using. And I said, why don't you drug test me, bitch? Because, you know, I've been clean six, seven months now, working out, drinking pre-workout. You ain't going to talk to me like I'm smoking crack when I'm not smoking crack. I might have fucked up. I didn't fuck up that bad. And he said, oh, like last time? Come on, Brian, last time you put orange juice in the cup. You've been passing drug tests your whole life. I know you're getting high. And for the only time in my life, I pushed my father and I cocked my hand back. And I thought he would do something back to me, and he didn't. And he, I think he, at the time, I thought he got scared. I'm, I'm serious. I was working out, like I said, you know? <laughs> but my father got real serious, and he said, he said, I'm the bitch. He said, you live in my house. I bought you them shoes. I bought you them pants. I pay for that haircut. You drive my car. <laughs> Give me them keys. He took them keys real quick. You ain't driving. You ain't going out with your friends. And you ain't going to them damn meetings. I was like, oh, now he done. Now he done did it. I'm still going to go to my home group. There ain't nothing you can do about it. And I called my sponsor in the fetal position. I don't know if you've ever been in the fetal position. I'm talking about crying into the pillow, snot everywhere. I hate my dad. <laughs> he did this. He yelled at me. He, he said I was using. And I said, I might as well just get high. He said, what? I said, I might as well just get high. It feels like I robbed the bank and never got to spend the money. And now I'm going to jail. He said, no, Brian, that is not it at all. I said, everybody thinks I'm getting high. I might as well just get high. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm trying. I'm working steps. You know, I'm going to meetings. Like, I might as well just use if everybody thinks that I'm using. My whole family thinks I'm using now. And he said, what if everybody in your family thought you were gay? Would you just go out and suck a dick? <laughs> he said, you might as well. They already think you're gay. <laughs> I said, I would never do that. And like my sponsor would always make me laugh when I was crying. He said, you might as well. They just already believe it. I said, no, I would not do that. He said, why? Wow. I was like, because I'm not gay. 
He's like, would it be safe to say that if you did do that, that you wanted to suck that dick the whole time or just looking for a good reason to? I was like, man, this guy's smart. He's got the knowledge. I never have said I've wanted to use ever since, you know? Because I understand now that I have a disease that wants me to use. I correct people when they say they feel like using. I say, you don't feel like using the disease wants you to use. You gotta separate yourself from the disease. There's Brian and then there's disease. I am not the disease. The first step, give us that separation. Once we identify that we have a disease, we're no longer enslaved. The, first, the most powerful word in the first step is were. I'm sorry to break it to you, but if you're in this convention, you are no longer powerless. You are no longer powerless. You have identified the allergy. Once you identify the allergy, you stay away from that shit. There was a time where I didn't know that I had the allergy and I would just end up using and having all these you know, symptoms and all this other shit. Now I know what my, what my allergy is. And I said, you don't understand, it's my dad. He goes, I don't sponsor your dad. <laughs> what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> it was him. He goes, I wanna hear what Brian did. When you find out what Brian did, then you can call me. Don't you ever call on me talking about your dad this year. I don't give a fuck about that motherfucker. I don't care what he does, Brian. I care about what you did. I was like, I didn't do nothing wrong. He said, why'd you get kicked out of school? I was like, oh. <laughs> I got to call you back. <laughs> I didn't want to look at my part. Right? I, yeah, I used to say, my parents don't get it. He used to say, it's not their job to get it. You're the only motherfucker who needs to get it, and you definitely don't get it. This guy, this guy was smart. He could barely read. I was like, man, how's this guy so smart and so dumb? It's crazy. <laughs> My sponsor used to say, smart people cannot get clean. He used to say, all the smart people are smoking crack. Everyone who's smart cannot follow directions. They're going to try to do it their own way. You got to be dumb to stay clean. If I tell you to jump, you say, how high? If I tell you to mow the lawn, you mow the lawn. And I was like, okay. You know, I learned how to follow direction. I learned how to shut up. And I made it to a year clean. And let me tell you something. Man, making it to a year clean is like graduating Harvard, Stanford, getting your dream job, smashing all the Kardashians at the same time. <laughs> it's like, it really is like, like you don't did it for real. I don't care. You could be humble. You can, he said I'm stupid. But, uh, you know, you could be humble all year. On that day, you got to be acting some ignorant. You got to be acting ignorant. That's pretty impressive for someone who's smoking crack. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I got a year clean. You aren't going to break my stride. I was, pfft. man, I was walking around high school like, pfft, got a year, you know? <laughs> That key tag, man, the key tags, like whoever thought of that is just so smart. Like, how are we gonna get addicts clean? We'll give them a color-coded piece of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that this shit works is black. How did they know, you know? If you were to explain how NA works to like a, a normal person, well, we're gonna get drug addicts and put them all together and then they're gonna police themselves and they'll be like, no drug testing, no security guards. Like that shit, like what? That's how I know it's a God-given program, right? Like, like, this is definitely a God thing. 
ain't nobody would have thought this shit would have worked, right? And um, when I had a year clean, I remember I was uh, something like, like, tell your dad. I was like, I'm not telling that motherfucker. I ain't going to tell that motherfucker. And my dad was watching the Heat game. And um, something said, like, like, just tell him. And I was about to go to the park meeting to go get my medallion. People were texting me. When you show up in NA and people fucking show up for your ass. Motherfuckers were texting me, calling me. It's your night. We're going to be there. You know, I was so happy. And I remember I went up to my father and he was watching TV. And I said, hey, dad. He just straight ignored me. I don't know if you had a father who did this, but when that motherfucker is watching TV, his not answering is an answer. That means get the fuck away, you know? And I said, hey, dad, we just, I'm right here, you know? And I said, hey, dad, he said, what? And he, he muted the TV, he said, what? I said, uh, today's my one year, I'm gonna go to a meeting and go get a medallion. My father said, you're gonna go and lie to all those people that you've been clean for a year? And he turned it back on and kept watching the TV. And when I left the house, I said the serenity prayer because my sponsor taught me to pray. When I used to call my sponsor, he said, did you pray? I used to say, well, I was going to later. He said, no, you better pray before your ass calls me because when I don't pick up the phone and you don't have a higher power, when you want to use, it's going to be you, your higher power, and the drug of choice. And if you don't have a higher power, you're going to pick the drugs every single time. My sponsor taught me the seven tradition early on. You got to be self-sufficient in all your affairs. I don't rely on one person. I rely on my higher power to get me through everything and anything. That's my 100%. That's not plan B. That's plan A. That's plan B. That's plan C. That's plan D. Y'all might be like plan E. That's like the first front of all things. Nothing can fail that, right? Anyways, so... My sponsor taught me how to pray. My only prayer at the time was a serenity prayer. And when I locked the door to go get my medallion, I understood what the serenity prayer was. The things that I couldn't change was watching TV, and the things that I could change was going to an NA meeting to go get my fucking medallion. And when I went to that meeting, I was happy as hell. I realized that what, what he, I no longer needed my father's approval. I've been looking for that my whole life. Amen. So at a year clean, I met my BFF. Yes, a man can have BFFs. And um, dude, this dude, Carl, was tatted. My, my best friend's name is Carl O. He's six foot two, covered in tattoos. Bench is 315 for 10. He's jacked, right? Been to prison. He's got a hardcore story. He had like three years clean, which when you have a year and someone has three years, it's like, like, dude, they just sunning you all day calling you jit, like all this stuff, you know, and I was, I was 17, about to be eight, I had eight, I was 18 with 18 months clean, which is cool, you know, so when I, I was like 18, 17, he was like 23, 24, and we became best friends, and we used to work out together, he taught me how to lift heavy, and you know, we would work out, and one day he's like, yo, you got protein at your crib, and I was like, yeah, and I'm looking at the time, like, my dad might come home soon, you know. I was like, all right, let's just go fast. So we go to my house real quick, and we get to my house. You ever just realize that someone wasn't raised right when they come over, you know? <laughs> he opened the fridge. He left it open. He's making fucking protein. There's shit. I'm like, bro, if Guillermo comes home, he's going to fucking lose his shit. 
he like eating chicken out there. He like didn't even ask. He just started eating it, you know? That's, that's, that's my dad's chicken. Don't fuck with that chicken, you know? My mom made it for him. I was like, we gotta go. And then I hear it. When you like really hate somebody, you know what their car sounds like when it pulls in. And I remember I was like, oh no. And I remember like this, I remember just being like, he's home. Like, and I remember like Carl was just so crazy and I was just like, this is not gonna be good. And my father walked in and he knew that someone was in the house just by the stench of him, you know? And my father put his briefcase to the side and he looked at me and he turned the corner and he looked at Carl and he said, come here. He says, who the hell is in our house? I was like, my, my house got robbed years ago and he always thinks it's cause like I let someone in the house. He's like, who the hell is in our house? Oh, that's my boy Carl. He's like, no, 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 we do not have boys named Carl at the house. And I'm like, it's my boy Carl. My dad goes, he looks like he belongs in a chain gang. I go, shh, he just got out of prison. My dad goes, what? I was like, well, he's been clean, but like he was in, like don't, don't make prison jokes, you know? And Carl goes, hey, is that your dad? And he goes, hey, nice to meet you. And he hugs my dad and he had just worked out and my dad is just like, oh. He thinks he's gonna get hep C from this shit. He's just like, oh no, you know? And, um, when we left, Carl was like, your dad seemed pretty jumpy. I was like, it's okay. And I remember th that night, he, my, my dad said, all of Brian's friends are 10 years older than him. They're covered in tattoos. They're in gangs. I'm like, dad, that's just N.A. Like, that's just, he's like, no, all he talks about is N.A. He's crazy. He's be this is worse than when he was on drugs. <laughs> and my mom used to just be like, well, if he wants to do NA, I think it's fine. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I kept going to meetings, and, and my dad told me to go to college. And I remember I was like, I ain't going to college. Like, I'm not going away to college. And he'd be like, why not? And I used to say, like, my home group is here. My dad would be like, your home group, come, come on, Brian. How are you going to be a winner hanging out with losers your whole life? I ain't, I ain't need his approval. I knew I was winning. I was like, I ain't smoke. I was so sold. I was so sold. I was like, I didn't need him to approve it anymore. I was already clean, like 18 months. I'm like, sorry, bro. Works if you work it, you know? Like, I'm going to meetings. I'm doing my thing. Like, whatever. You could be upset. And I went to community college, and me and Carl became really close friends, and Carl would keep coming over. And I remember my dad was asleep on the couch once, and Carl started rubbing his shoulder. And my dad thought it was my mom, and he started rubbing it back. <laughs> and when my dad opened his eyes, he looked at Carl, and Carl said, you know, I've been to prison, right? And my dad goes, what the fuck are you doing? What are you gay? He's like, no, 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 but if we were locked up together, you'd be peeling my oranges. He said, what? He's like, you know, you'd be holding my pocket. He's like, no, man. He goes, you'd be folding my laundry. He's like, no. And Carl's a big dude, so you can't really get too mad at him. And I was like, yeah, get him, Carl, you know? And, um, and Carl kept coming over, kept coming over. And one of my favorite stories about Carl is uh, one day he was over, and it was Christmas. And it's like, your first Christmas clean, I didn't even know that this shit went on. 
I was like, whoa, they got lights. <laughs> they got, they got all, like music. You ever drove with the windows down the first time? You'd be like, man, that's air. You know, like, like you just really be feeling amazed at like random shit. You're like, man, this is beautiful. And he'd be like, did I just say this is beautiful? Gotta stop that corny shit, you know? <laughs> and um, the only time I knew it was a holiday is when I would go to the pawn shop and they would say we're closed. And I'd be like, bro, it's Monday. What's going on? And I remember they'd be like, bro, it's Mother's Day. Fucking Mother's Day. You know, like, like that's all holidays were anyway. So it's like Christmas and Carl's, my mom's making Carl food. And um, William, my dad is watching TV, you know. And I go to my room to change and I come out and Carl's crying and my mom's laughing. And I was like, what did you do to Carl? And my mom was like, oh, nothing. I just said something. He started crying. And Carl said, uh, what your mom just said was so beautiful. And I said, what? He said, I asked your mom, what would you want for Christmas? And she said, nothing. I already got my son back two years ago. And, um, and, um, and, and Carl's mom a, is a using an addict. And he said, you know, I know my mom's loved me, but she, she's never been able to say something like that. And um, my dad was just watching TV, whatever, you know. <laughs> and um, one day for Thanksgiving, my dad was like, you know who we should invite over for Thanksgiving? And I said, who? He goes, we should invite Carl over. I said, you want to invite Carl over for Thanksgiving? He goes, he's just the nicest guy. <laughs> I said, Dad, you know Carl, like, been to prison and, like, used to shoot dough? He goes, nah, he never did that. I was like, what do you mean? Of course he has. He's like, he never did that. Like, bro, he was in a gang. He was, like, you know, went to prison. He's like, that's how we know each other. We're, you ever had a family member that's just, like, oblivious to recovery no matter? You're like, bro, like, that's how we know each other. He's like, nah, not Carl. And I was like, dad, Carl used to break into people's houses on the day before Christmas and take the presents. My dad goes, stop talking shit about Carl. It's always, always a fucking joke with your ass. You're always joking around. Why can't you ever be serious? I was like, he really did. Like, I'm always in trouble, you know? And um, Carl came over for Thanksgiving. And uh, a few months later, him and my dad love sports. And I, I hate sports, you know? And I remember, like, him and my dad were talking about sports. And they were talking about the Heat. And can you believe this person got traded? This is when the Heat, like, had LeBron and shit. And I was like, yo, we got to go. And my dad was like, no, 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 where are you going? I was like, I got to go to a meeting. My dad's like, bro, it's the finals. And Carl was like, yeah, we're going. He's like, you're not going to watch the finals? He goes, no, your son's speaking. He goes, Brian's speaking at a meeting? He goes, yeah. He goes, let me get my shoes. <laughs> hold up, hold up. I looked at Carl, I said, no, dude. Why did you do that? He's like, this is going to be good. I was like, no. <laughs> My dad went to one meeting. This lady picked up a 26-year medallion. She started crying. She said, at 26 years clean, I used to be homeless. I shot heroin my whole life. And I finally bought my first house. And I just can't believe it. God is so good. We drove home in silence. My dad put the car in park when we got home. He said, took that bitch 26 years to buy a house? <laughs> That's the kind of dad I had. So when I heard he was coming to the meeting, I was like, no, dude. 
Man, once he got in my car, I was already regretting it. This is why you get tickets, you don't know how to drive, your car's a mess. Jeez. And when we got out the car, he said, hey, come here. Nobody better hug me. <laughs> I said, okay, dad, nobody's gonna hug you. There was a line to get in. This meeting's called the best meeting ever. And um, when we almost get in, Carl goes, hey, everybody, this is Brian's dad. Man, there was a line to hug him. He was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember this lady, um, her name is Amy. Uh, her father was Joe Theismann. I didn't know who that was because I don't watch sports, right? So to me, she was just one of the homies, you know, whatever. Man, this lady was so cool. She looked like she walked out of the Kardashians, but she was playing dominoes in the hood with us. I was like, this lady is out of her mind. This lady was cooler than cool. And I remember she looked at my father and she held him and he said, like, do I know you? And she said, are you Brian's dad? He said, yes, I am. And she hugged him and he tried to let go and she kept hugging him. And she said, we love your son so much. Do you know how many people he's helped? He started this meeting. And my father, and I looked over at him, he was crying. And um, Carl was like, oh, he's crying like a bitch. <laughs> and he's like, shut up, man, you know? And, and when I was speaking at the meeting, my father was standing up, like, tell him about the time you tried to take the TV. <laughs> I was like, dad, he was just like me when I got clean. I'm like, sit down. <laughs> Keep coming back, you know? And um, when I got home, my father gave me an index card. And on that index card, on that, I thought he was handing it. I was like, what do you want to do with this? <laughs> and when he handed me this index card, it said, uh, things you need to work on. And he said that uh, I curse too much. Uh, I should take some public speaking classes. <laughs> it, said, it got boring in the middle. <laughs> and... Um, I don't, like, I don't, man, I had two years clean, maybe three years clean. It's just like, it's never good enough. Why couldn't he just say, good job, I love you, and I'm proud of you? Like, why can't he just say that? He don't know how to say that. Why can't he just say, like, thumbs up, pal, like you did good? And um, when I had multiple years clean, I was going to community college, and something came in the mail. And when you live with your parents, they commit a felony almost every day. <laughs> they open your mail. And uh, my father opened my mail, and he's like, hey, this is for you. And it was a plaque from my college, and it said, Broward County Student Body Vice President. My father said, how come you're not the president? <laughs> and uh, I was probably 20 at the time, maybe 19, and I went in my room and I cried like I was a little kid. I cried like I was a little kid. Why can't he just say, good job? Why, when's it gonna be enough? And I called the mad Russian. <laughs> and I was crying and he was laughing. And um, he started laughing so hard. He's like, bro, why can't you see it? Your father loves you so much. He's not saying, how come you're not the president? He says, who the fuck is working at that damn school to put you as the vice president? You're the fucking president. Can't they see that you're the president? You're the fucking man. He says, your dad loves you. Your dad loves you so much. He is saying it, Brian. And I started to laugh. 
And I said, my father does love me. And I started to hear it. My father's been saying this my whole life, and I never heard it. When I would get arrested, he would say, you dumb motherfucker. How did you fuck up this bad? It's okay. You got to be related to me. You know I love you and I'm proud of you. When I would get kicked out of school, he would say, how could you be this stupid? And then he would laugh. He said, it's okay. You know I love you and I'm proud of you. I never heard it. I never heard it. I was too busy being committed to being mad. You ever committed to being mad? You ever went somewhere and they said it was going to be something and it wasn't? And you already committed to being mad? And they were like, oh, sir, we're going to upgrade you. We already fixed everything. You're like, no. <laughs> sir, well, we're going to do X, Y, we're going to refund you all. Nope. <laughs> you already done fucked it up. And I can't enjoy it now. I want to go home. And then I want you to book a vacation, and I need to fuck it up for your ass. So ain't nobody having fun here, okay? Because if I'm pissed off, everybody going to be pissed off. Right? You don't cheer for that. That's sick. <laughs> it's like when you're committed to a story, all you got to do is change the story. And I started to change the story, and I started to change my life. And when I had multiple years clean, probably five years clean, I dropped out of school. I thought my father would kill me. I said, Dad, I'm dropping out of school. He said, okay. I was like, you sure? He said, okay. I said, Dad, can I use your garage for something? And he said, sure. I said, I'm going to put motorcycles in there. I'm starting a motorcycle business. He said, okay. I said, Dad, can I use the side of the house? He said, okay. I'm going to have a trailer there. He said, okay. I said, Dad, can I give my car to my brother and use the truck that you bought that you never used? He said, okay. I was like, who is this guy? You know? <laughs> and uh, I started this, this business with a friend of mine. And uh, I bought another truck. I bought another trailer. My father would go to the garage. He'd be like, who the fuck bought all these motorcycles? I'm like, I did. He'd be like, there's like a, a bunch in here. I was like, I know. Next week, there'll be a bunch more motorcycles. And I was like, hey, Dad, I'm moving out. He's like, no, 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 you can't leave. <laughs> ah. No, we miss you here. You hop out with your mom so much. You're... He always says your mom's going to be sad. <laughs> you know he's going to be sad. So I, I, uh, I, I moved out, calling me every day. I never see you anymore. I love you. I'm like, dude, where were you fucking when I got clean, you know? And um, I remember one day I came home and... Um, I probably had my business for a couple of years. I had a brand new F-250, the King Ranch. I had $1,000 shoes on. I had a little gold chain. I'm from Broward, so I had grills in my mouth, you know. And um, I walked in, and, you know, every Sunday we have brunch, me and my family, right? I don't care if my sister doesn't go. I don't care if my brother doesn't go. But I make it a point to go, right? I'm constantly making amends with my family. And when I walked in there, my dad was just looking me up and down. And there was just something off with him. And we were eating, and he wasn't eating, and he was just looking at me. And he looked at me, put a fork in his meal, and he said, how much fucking money are you making? I said, I don't know. And my mom is like, you know, just chill. He's like, no, 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 a man should know how much fucking money they're making. I said, I don't know. He goes, you should know exactly how much fucking money you're making. So I think I make like six figures. He said, six figures? started eating his steak. He said, you should be making seven. 
And my first reaction was, this guy loves me. Thanks for letting me share.